From making money off the bedlam battle between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to a revenge game in the AFC North, today's episode of The Winning Ticket is tailored towards finding you the best bets from this week's NFL and college football slates. I'm your host, Bobby Kravitsky, and if it's Thursday, that means I'm joined by 28-year professional sports handicapper John Ryan, one of the best in the business. You can find his work at Sports Memo, Wager Talk, and Gambling.com. John, on both slates, we've got a bevy of matchups between rivals, and I can't wait to get your take on the best bets. Well, thank you, Bobby, for having me on the show every Thursday like this. It is a blast, and I can't wait to hear what your takes are, too, because I think if uh, memory serves correct, when we're aligned, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, I think it's fair to consider that a lock or as close to it as you can get. So let's see if we're aligned on Thursday night football tonight between the Titans and the Packers. We've got a 6-3 and three Tennessee squad against a 4-6 and six Green Bay team. This is a litmus test for both of them. Was that on Sunday what we saw with the Packers, just a matter of the Cowboys pulling a classic Cowboys move and face planting? Or is this genuinely the spark that turns around their season? And with the Titans at 6-3, and three, they're going to win the AFC South, but no one takes them seriously. Yes, Green Bay is struggling, but this would get people's attention and say, okay, maybe they're better than we gave them credit for to this point if they go into Lambeau and get this win on a short week. Well, I think um, you know, we're checking the weather, and, and that <clears throat> probably will be a factor with the wind uh, being what it is. But I think with this total down around 41, and the fact that it hasn't precipitously dropped, uh, as in like gone down to 38 and a half because of that. It's a contrarian bet to bet the over, and uh, I do like this as a as a premium bet. So in this situation, we're going to bet over when the line is between 35 and 41 and a half points, non-conference matchup, home team has lost four or more of their last five games straight up. Three simple parameters, Bobby, and it all adds up to 67% to the over last 10 seasons on a 33-16 and 16 record. And if the road team has a winning record, which I believe Tennessee does, 9-3 and three over, 75% winners last 10 seasons. So I think that's where I'm going to be putting my, uh, my hard-earned bucks at the window on the over. Yeah, John, your models are second to none. We're aligned on the over. I like that as well. And I'm also willing to go out on a limb and take a chance on the Packers at minus three and a half. You can get it at minus 104. My strategy here is simple. Load the box against Derrick Henry and make Ryan Tannehill beat you. Yes, this Packers defense ranks 26th in rushing yards allowed per game, but at the same time, Tennessee is 31st in passing yards allowed, one of the worst defenses defending against the air. They're 28th in passing touchdowns surrendered as well. And even this version of Aaron Rodgers and the supporting cast around him, I trust more than another team that downgraded at the skill positions in the offseason and has Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. So Christian Watson, three touchdowns last week against Dallas. Maybe that is the spark for him that gets his season turned around and gets him going. And for Green Bay to be able to face a defense that is so suspect at stopping the pass, I trust that formula to produce a win, especially at Lambeau in primetime against Ryan Tannehill than I do against the run, which as good as Derrick Henry is, I think it's easier for Green Bay to take that away than it is for the Titans secondary to stop the passing game of the Packers. I love it, Bobby. I'm with you on it. I can see that happening very easily because the Packers have nothing to lose by saying, okay, Mr. Tannehill, it's up to you with this wind and everything else, and the fans should be pretty well lathered up by game time. I, I think you got 
the right side here. And then, John, a matchup that I can't wait to get your perspective on here. The Eagles, who it's been quite a busy two days for them, first bringing in Linval Joseph and now Indomitian Sue to shore up a rushing defense that was ranked 20th when it came to yards per game surrendered. What is your thought here as they go head-to-head against a Colts team that has Jonathan Taylor healthy and he just ran for nearly a buck 50 in that surprising win with Jeff Saturday now at the helm against the Raiders? Well, it's interesting. Jeff Saturday, I think, is, is more than a breath of fresh air because he commands immediate respect when the, in the locker room. He it was center for Peyton Manning for all those seasons. And he has seen everything at the NFL level as a player. And after all, he is the quarterback of that offensive line and one of the best ever. So I think it was a great move. It'll be interesting to see if he is the permanent coach, which I think would be a great move. But I think what's interesting here is the Washington Commanders did one simple thing that also the Green Bay Packers did to Dallas. And when you have a guy like Micah Parsons coming off the edge and some of the guys that come off the edge for the Eagles that are – you know, very eager to put it, you know, in certain words, what do you do? You run the ball right at those players. You don't try to go around them. You don't try to go, you know, fancy with, you know, fake outs and all that stuff. You run dead at them. And the Colts have an offensive line that's starting to come together. And they do have a running game I think is going to give the Eagles problems. And, you know, they're coming off that first loss. You know, it's the old Balloon, you know, getting punctured and the air is out of it. They're on the road. It's going to be a hostile environment. And seven and a half just seems too many points for me. I I can see the Eagles, you know, squeaking out the win. But it's seven and a half points, even six and a half. Um, I I like the Colts in this matchup. They're backed by another outstanding system here. 68% winners over the last five years, Bobby. 53 and 25 with two pushes. 37 and 43 straight up as well, which... A money line bet at 37 and 43, at I'm guessing it's probably in the neighborhood of 350, maybe a little bit higher. That would pay off. So a sprinkle here in the money line with the Colts, I think, is a good a good bet too, along with the Colts plus the points. I think you're all over it. It's a very precise and logical breakdown of why to approach it that way. Like you said, that building is going to be rocking as they're excited by the breath of fresh air that is Jeff Saturday. I love his approach. He's not trying to do really anything more right now than manage the team. So I like his approach. He's certainly someone that can motivate men. And I think that building is going to be really electric coming off the win with Jeff Saturday against the Raiders. We'll see what happens there. The spread, like you're saying, probably too rich. I do think the Eagles get the win, but I, I think that hedge on your part is a really smart move. Well, thanks very much, Bobby. I think uh, I think we're on the right side on this game, too. Yeah, it, it seems like it from your mouth to the betting gods' ears. <laughs> and another matchup that we want to detail here, the Bengals taking on the Steelers in Pittsburgh. We've got a 5-4 and four Cincinnati squad, 3-6 and six for the Steelers. Cincinnati, though, they're starting to turn it around, John. They won three of their last four games. And let's not forget, this is a revenge game for the Bengals after losing their season opener to the Steelers on their home turf in just a wild, chaotic game that you know it went to overtime. It was a crazy finish to regulation as well. No one could make a field goal, and ultimately Pittsburgh upset them in Cincinnati. So I'm sure that is fresh on their minds. I also found this to be a better friendly line at minus 3.5. You can grab it at minus 115. The Bengals, they've turned it around to the tune of having a top-six scoring offense in the NFL now. They're going toe-to-toe with a defense that ranks 20th in points allowed per game. 
And then you look at the other side of the coin and the Bengals defense is 13th in that category. And they're also, they rate, they have the 12th lowest opponent conversion rate when it comes to giving up touchdowns in the red zone. So Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, Cordell Stewart, Neil O'Donnell. I don't care who's under center for the Steelers. <laughs> I expect Cincinnati to come through on Sunday. Yeah, I think you're, uh, I think you're right too. Uh, I like the under in this matchup too. And you mentioned Steelers and you got to think of Tomlin and both teams are, are coming off pretty, pretty impressive offensive performances that both teams outgained their opponents by more than 150 yards in their respective games. And when the total has been 35 and a half to 42 points and both opponents are coming off a game like that, where they pretty much dominated in the total yards category, well, the unders to play at 35 and 10, which is 78% winners, and that's over a 30-year period. So this is pretty rare, but very, very powerful. It's gone 7-1 uh, and one over the last uh, seven seasons. So it averages about a play a year, and that's a small sample size. But when you have 30 years backing it up and it's hitting 78%, I kind of like the under here pretty much. Yeah, John, I'm with you on that. Pound the under as well. And then we have... Another rivalry matchup that we want to get to, an AFC East clash between the Patriots and the Jets. Thanks to turnovers and some terrible picks from Zach Wilson, plus a penalty that wiped out a potential pick six for the Jets. New England prevailed in that one. Now they go to Gillette for the rematch. What are your thoughts on this one? I think the Jets are the right side here. Of all the games we're reviewing tonight, this is the the one that is the, the most difficult, I think, in my opinion, to really ascertain where the Jets are and where New England is. New England was, you know, all but dead just a few weeks ago, and they have resurrected the season somehow. I guess it's Mr. Belichick again. But nevertheless, they are playing a heck of a lot better than they did. They're only one game behind the Jets now, and they're right in the thick of the wild card uh, standings for a playoff berth. Both these teams could could make the wild card and play in the playoffs. And I think that is my prediction for these teams. I still maintain, with the exception of this matchup, which it's very hard to take the Jets with their new generation of winning because we haven't seen this happen in God knows when, I guess like 2018 maybe. But the Jets, I don't think, have ever – they have not reached the peak performance by any stretch of the imagination. I think after this game where Belichick is the master, he's going to take away their best asset and reduce them to a, a manageable situation that they can win. I think the Jets could, could rip off three or four in a row or win three out of four. And then that puts them you know, right at nine wins. I think that's probably enough to make it. So I, I don't have much of an opinion on this other than if, in game, if New England would get up by two scores, uh, meaning 10 nothing, 14 nothing, 13 nothing, that type of thing, I would be tempted to take the Jets with the points and see if they can't come back. And uh, they, they have proven time and time again by they're very resilient. And I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, if that happens, I'm, I'm going to take the Jets in that fashion. Zach Wilson was atrocious in that first matchup this season. They weren't out of the game, though. They, they had a chance and could have made it interesting in the fourth quarter and then he goes to the podium afterwards and says well we'll see them in two weeks both teams coming off their bye weeks as much as the Patriots had a chance to figure things out try to get their offense in sync well the Jets had a chance to get better too so we'll see Zach Wilson you talk the talk after a train wreck of a performance now can you go into Gillette Stadium and back up what you were saying it's going to be really interesting to see 
how this unfolds. But what we've seen the last two years, it ultimately boils down to him taking care of the football and his inability to do so every time he's gone up against Bill Belichick and that Patriots defense. That's the reason that most of these games have been blowouts. The one difference is that, well, you know, the Jets played a, a magnificent game upsetting Buffalo as a 10.5-point underdog. And as you mentioned, they're on the bye. So they had two full weeks to get better and to prepare for this one game. So that's why I'm, I'm, I want to bet the Jets. It's just that historically, you know, the revenge factor is huge. And I just can't pull the trigger on a full bet. But maybe by Sunday, you know, my clients will get one on the Jets. I, I won't be on the Patriots, I'll tell you that. I, there's a premium bet here. It's on the Jets. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that's the right approach as well. And then let's get to the collegiate level. Let's start. It gets real spicy in the Pac-12 this weekend, John. We'll go first to number 16, UCLA, hosting seventh-ranked USC at the Rose Bowl. Well, I've been looking at this matchup for weeks, mainly because I, I almost feel sorry for the college football playoff committee. I'm probably the only one in the entire nation that feels sorry for them because everybody else complains. But if USC wins this game in dominating fashion, and that's, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. They're going to have a major issue with the many, many different combinations of what four teams they're going to pick. I have one scenario, Bobby, where it's two teams from the Big Ten, obviously Michigan and Ohio State, going up against Georgia and Tennessee. And honestly, wouldn't that be just awesome to watch? Semifinal and then final. I mean, I don't care if it's a Sign Big, me up Ten, for that. Big Ten. You know, it doesn't matter to me. But if SC gets in there, you know, it almost takes the Big 12 out of the equation. You know, sarcastically, fortunately, Notre Dame is not part of the equation this year. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm glad of that. And I'm also glad that, you know, Clemson's not going to be part of it either. I'd be a long shot for them to, you know, try to be considered for that fourth spot. You know, clearly it's Georgia and Tennessee, unless somehow LSU upends Georgia but again, USC is my pick here. If the game is lined between the threes, meaning a three-point favorite or a three-point underdog, we're going to bet against a team, this, in this case being UCLA, that allows 6.25 or more yards per play in their last game, which is not good. And we're going to bet on a team, being USC, that outgained their previous opponent by 125 or more total yards. That ends up being 100 wins, 53 losses straight up for 65%. So the money line here is pretty tasty right now. As long as that line, that the spread doesn't go up to like three and a half or four or four and a half, then it wouldn't be. But if it stays at three or lower, if you like money line bets, that's what I would recommend. And then against the spread, Bobby, 69, I'm sorry, 95 and 53 for 64%. And guess what? If it's a conference matchup, which obviously this is, it gets even better. We are 69 and 34 for 68% against the number and a slight lean to the under in that situation, winning 58% of those games. So, you know, I give out a lot there, but I, I'm definitely on SC here to win in dominating fashion. And then we'll just have to turn it over to the committee. I think this game is going to resemble, in a sense at least, what happened when UCLA lost to Oregon. It was a high-octane showdown where nearly every possession ended in points or turnovers. And usually it was the former. That game, one of the ways that the Ducks were able to pull away is they were aggressive. They had an onside kick in the first half, so then they were able to double dip on touchdowns and start to pull away from the Bruins. It might not look quite like that, but at the same time, I do think what we see is two potent offenses go head-to-head. -head. 
take advantage of two teams where they're more suspect defensively. And ultimately, I think the Trojans, like you're saying here, that they get the victory. Yeah, and this is the fourth highest total of the season at 76. I think it's probably come down just a little bit from there, but you know, it, it's lofty. So again, the live in-game betting strategy is optimized. The higher the total is, the more volatile the scoring is going to be. You're going to have UCLA you know, score on back-to-back possessions, potentially. You're going to have USC do the same thing. And if you zig and zag and sell into the strength, buy into the weakness during the game, it makes total sense to me. If you like the, like the over in this game, for example, that you just put 50% pre-flop and then use you know 10% even because it's going to be all over the map. I can't imagine this game you know ending up 31 to 24. You know, that might be the halftime score. When the action gets slow and you see that that number come down, don't think that, oh, no, I, I made a bad bet. Think that I still love the bet because I loved it before the game started and take advantage of those lower prices. Yeah, John, exactly. That That is the proper approach to what's sure to be a highly entertaining, high-scoring affair on Saturday. We've got another matchup between two highly-ranked opponents, number 10 Utah, taking on 12th-ranked Oregon. The Ducks have to be so disappointed. They had a great opportunity at hand. They couldn't get it done at home, no less. Those playoff hopes have vanished and gone up in smoke. But what still is at stake for them is a chance to make it to the Pac-12 title game and a Rose Bowl berth. So I like Oregon in this one at over 29 and a half points. You can get it for minus 111. This is still a Ducks offense with something to play for and a team that has scored over 40 points in every game when they rattled off eight straight wins. They put up 34 in last week's loss. And Bo Nix, yes, they came up short. He still completed 70% of his passes and threw for three touchdowns. For the season, he's spinning the ball to the tune of nearly 2,800 yards to go with 24 touchdowns and a 73% completion percentage. And meanwhile, Utah is 2-2 two and two on the road. They gave up 42 points to UCLA, and they gave up 42 to USC. So I think the Ducks score at least 30 in this one. Yeah, and I think based on the the model projections I'm seeing too, like this this line and the total being where it's at, does project that the marketplace is telling us that Oregon will score 28 or more. And when they do score 28 or more at home, they're, they're in the high 70% range, just that alone. The only caution I would have is that this Utah team is pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, I can't get my hands around the, the idea that Utah would hold them to under 28 in such a critical game. And with Oregon coming off just a disaster performance when they had everything in front of them to, to win. You know, coming off a bad loss to Washington, which I, I humbly say was one of my premium bets last week. And I was as surprised Tip as anybody cap, they won. I think Oregon comes back off of that loss and really uh, shows us who, who they are. So uh, I, I agree with you 100% with the breakdown. Yeah, who would have thought we'd be saying in Bonix we trust? But in Bonix oh. we trust right now. He's come I a long way. He was a freshman at Auburn, you know, in, in, in his dad's shoes and his dad's shadow. And a lot of times, you know, we have to remember these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of pressure when you, you go to a school where your dad was a legend. I mean, he really is a legend at Auburn. I mean, he's not Cam Newton or, or a Bo, but, you know, he was quite good. <laughs> so um, it, it's really cool, I think, to see people rebound, you know, athletes rebound from a you know, really bad time, environment, whatever it was, and then to see Bo Nix do what he's doing 
and you know, seventy three percent completions. I, I mean, it's, he's he's going to play in the he's going to play Sundays now. Yeah, he's completely turned it around, and it's it's great to see and to have the maturity and the awareness to leave Auburn, where his dad was such a legend, knowing that it's best for him to get out and then make the most of that decision and see him shine the way he is at Oregon. And like you said, play himself into going to the next level that it's really impressive. So certainly hats off to Bo Nix. Let's shift gears now because the other conference where the games are really compelling on Saturday is the big 12. We'll start with you here in that battle of bedlam between Oklahoma hosting 22nd ranked Oklahoma state. This is a a very interesting game. The market is telling you that Oklahoma is the pick because why in the world is Oklahoma state a seven and a half point underdog when they're the, you know, the higher ranked team or, you know, their record is better and Oklahoma is five and five for goodness sake. So how in the world is a mediocre five and five record, a seven and a half point favorite against Oklahoma state Cowboys at seven and three, it's contrary. I get it. But Oklahoma, you know, they, they need that six windows to be bowl eligible for goodness sake. But I do think uh, Oklahoma is the right side here. I have a couple good ones here on the over as well, which I think is a good play. If you like the over out there, 33 and 14 over in home games off of one or more consecutive unders. So recently Oklahoma's offense is there. I mean, that's what they're known for and they, they can score tons and tons of points. So if they're coming off an under game, it stands to reason that you would expect a, you know, a bounce back effect with the offense and play over. If I had to, you know, play, um, any anything on the total would be the over, but I do like Oklahoma here quite a bit. And again, the in-game betting strategy, 50% down pre-flop on Oklahoma would be my recommended preferred bet. And then you, you almost hope that Oklahoma State's going to come firing out of the gate and score first. And if they score a touchdown first, you suddenly are going to be able to get Oklahoma at three and a half, even four, and that's a lot better than seven and a half. So this game will be volatile on the scoreboard. Don't think that if Oklahoma State scores first and your Oklahoma bet is worthless because it's not. And uh, this this will be back and forth, and it'll be just one heck of a game to watch. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how Oklahoma responds because they didn't just lose to West Virginia. They lost to a Mountaineers team that was forced to rely on their backup quarterback. How they bounce back all of a sudden, the Sooners. Sometimes we talk about the motivations or the potential letdown games. And as you constantly point out, John, it, you know, we're talking about college kids here. So that stuff, in, it becomes even more volatile than it already is. At the same time, for this Sooners team, it is a potential source of motivation, especially for that defense that, hey, you were not able to get it done against a backup. Now you've got a rivalry game. And when you had one against Texas, you got skunked 49 to nothing. So if you have any pride at all, now is the time to show up. Yeah, and to your point, that 49 nothing game, they came back against Kansas and uh, won 52-42. to So the, the donut really got that offense going. But the defense has been the problem for Oklahoma all year. Now recently, last two last three games, they've uh, held Iowa, to, Iowa State at Iowa State to 13 and 23 last week at West Virginia. But that 23 last week really wasn't a good 23 because West Virginia is not a juggernaut. So, um, you know, the bulletin board material is there. I mean, this is the rivalry game, and you want to go down. If you're a senior at Oklahoma, you don't want to lose this game. So I'll I'll go with Oklahoma here for the show, and uh, I like my strategy with the live in-game 50% and then look to get three and a half 
during the first half of action. Yeah, I think it's a well-calculated approach, John. And then lastly, let's talk about fourth-ranked TCU taking on Baylor. We've got the Horn Frogs here. I like them at minus two and a half. You can grab it at minus 110. The Bears, I just don't have a ton of confidence in this team. They're six and four. They just lost 31 to three at home against Kansas State, falling to 0 and three against ranked opponents. So maybe it's a letdown game for TCU after surviving against Texas 17 to 10. But another way to look at it is it was TCU's best defensive performance of the season. The Longhorns failed to score an offensive touchdown, they couldn't get the ground game going. And also, again, yes, it's certainly possible that the there's a bit of a letdown here, but with those playoff hopes and those, them competing for a spot in the Final Four, that motivation should keep the fire burning. I like the idea at two and a half, you're basically picking a winner outright, and I have more trust in TCU than I do Baylor. Well, you know, this is one of the few times we're, we're probably going to be on different sides, Bobby, but the one thing that doesn't make me join you is the betting flows. The betting flows so far this week, and granted, this can change. We're doing this Thursday night. But so far, 70% of the tickets have been on TCU as I look at it, but only 48% of the money. Conversely, Baylor, 21% of the tickets and 52% of the money. So when it you have fewer tickets than 50% and then the money is over 50%, it gets my attention. So it's not ever a time where I go, oh, my God, i got to go bet Baylor. But the line feels weird to me. Like, TCU should be favored by seven, don't you think? Like, after that awesome performance. At least more than road. two and a half. What's that? It, at least more than two and a half. Yeah. It does. It, it gets the antennas up. And that and that's where um, I think if I – if you know, for TCU, I think that money line probably is a pretty good way to go, too, because if this game comes down to the wire and TCU wins, but they, they win by one – scoring a touchdown with 10 seconds left in the game, say, you may not want to be on the on the line for this. It just depends on what that money line uh, is. And I don't like paying more than 135. And at two and a half, it's certainly higher than 135. But anything approaching, you know, even 140, if you like TCU, would be a, a pretty good price tag, I think, and avoid that backdoor cover or the fact that they win and then try to go for two with three minutes to go to make it a three-point game and they don't convert. I mean, these things can happen in these big games. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. Um, and Baylor's going to have to play a, a perfect game, but they are at home and as a tough venue to play at there in Waco. So I lean Baylor, uh, but I'm going to have to do more research, Bobby, because when you're on a, a team and you're confident with TCU, it, it gives me pause. And that's what's good about these shows is because you don't become a successful gambler sitting in a closet at home and keeping all the secrets you think you have to yourself. You got to talk to people. And the more people you talk to, the better, better you're going to be. It's a matter of personal preference there. John laid out a compelling case. I like to think that I did so as well just now when it comes to backing TCU. Appreciate that in this matchup. And the beauty of it is that we do this on Thursday. So everyone listening and watching on YouTube they have the opportunity as well to do more research and see if they ultimately are swayed towards one side or the other. I love it. Absolutely. That wraps up this edition of The Winning Ticket. But before we go, John, the stage is yours to promote any work you want to share and let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Well, I'm kind of smiling tongue-in-cheek here, Bobby. I didn't tell you this before we went on the air, but for the first time ever, I've been convinced by my staff to release a NFL game of the year. And I hate the word game of the year. There we go. Really do hate that game of the year name. 
I'd rather just say 5% 10 unit max bet, which you've seen me do time and time again. Absolutely. I think they're uh, 73% over the last two seasons. Uh, so these are pretty strong plays. This one is a special one, though. This is the first time in three years that my number one algorithm in terms of all the statistical evaluations of how parameters work together, whether they make sense or whether it's random. This is the number one out of over 5,000 that I've developed over 28 years. So, yeah, I get excited when I pull that up and I go, whoa, man, look at this. But then at the same time, folks, if you join me on this play, you can get it over at predictedplaybook.com or send me a direct message on Twitter and I'll get you set up. You got to use common sense because even if they hit 73% of the time, it means they lose 27% of the time. There's no such thing as a lock. I am calling it the game of the year reluctantly, but it makes me nervous because I just don't like the hype. I'd rather just grind out a season and say, hey, we hit 64%. Everybody's happy. John's very humble, and he he doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm saying this, so go and take the bet." You know, he he also advises tread with caution when it's appropriate. At the same time, all of our listeners they've been able to hear you each and every week, John. And those percentages, whether it's hitting on seventy three percent or higher, which it usually is too, by the way, they are well aware that you are, as I like to say, a walking bucket. And so, folks, if you like making money, then absolutely take John up on this offer, DM him, and be sure to get these premium picks, including now the game of the week, a very exciting addition to John's portfolio. Thank you very much, Bobby. Absolutely. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today, whether you found us on Believe.com, the Winning Ticket YouTube page, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. It goes a long way. For John Ryan, I'm Bobby Kravitsky. This has been The Winning Ticket. Thanks for tuning in. 